church. Uh, praise God for a great morning already. It was uh, really blessed me, and hopefully it blessed you just to hear our church singing, uh, to hear our voices, and a little more a cappella this morning. Pretty cool. Um, if you are brand new to Hiawatha, welcome. We uh, often do have power, and so we thank you for uh, bearing with us the first half hour of our service this morning. Special welcome to you, though. Uh, we're really glad that you chose to check us out. This weekend, hopefully everyone is having a fantastic Labor, or no, Memorial Day weekend. I always get those two mixed up. Uh, right now, our church is in a study in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote uh, a lot of what he saw about Jesus' uh, teachings, his miracles, his healings. And we have been in the, the book of Matthew now for about 18 months or so, or we're going to go up until December. And uh, we'll get to Matthew in just a second. But first, I want to introduce you to someone. Uh, this guy here is my brother. Uh, his name is Jerome. Some of you do know him. He's uh, a member here at Hiawatha. He's also one of the deacons and one of my best friends. Uh, and despite what this picture shows, he actually doesn't have tea parties all the time. <laughs> this is uh, just a special Easter brunch we had. But anyway, my brother, uh, when he was 10 years old, he was diagnosed with leukemia. So we have a couple of pictures of him up here. So him on the left, uh, leukemia is a, a cancer that is in your blood and hurts your immune system. And so he would always have to wear a mask to keep uh, from getting any diseases or, or, or any sickness at all. Um, and then he's hooked up to all those tubes and monitors and IV bags and actually had a tube uh, permanently going uh, right into his chest because he had to have so much medication. And then there's a picture of them, uh, him there on the right. And through uh, chemo, he eventually lost his hair. So because of Jerome's cancer, even before he started treatment, he had this unbearable and excruciating pain in his lower back where all the cancer cells had gathered. He had an incredibly high fever as well. Uh, I think it was like 104 degrees. And he was going... Um, in and out of consciousness. And so after going to the doctor a number of times, they finally figured out that it was leukemia. So for, for those of you who don't know, leukemia is a type of uh, blood cancer that begins in the bone marrow, which is that soft stuff inside your bones where the blood cells are produced. And so what Jerome needed to be cured of this cancer, of this disease, was a bone marrow uh, transplant. So first he needed to find someone uh, who had the same type of bone marrow and then needed to have a, a, a transplant, bone marrow transplant. And thankfully, he had a pretty incredible older brother who was cool with sharing his bone marrow. <laughs> and actually, I still have never played the whole, remember that time I literally saved your life card? <laughs> so one day, I'm going to cash that in, and it's, it's going to be worth a lot. But anyway, the, the bone marrow transplant went great, and 100 days later, we gathered to celebrate uh, my brother's remission, thanking God for his mercy on our lives. Now, I want you to think, how crazy would it have been if my parents or my brother, if he was, if he was conscience, conscious, said to the doctor, okay, I just want you to fix the pain in his back, his high fever, and, and keep him conscious. Actually, my parents did do that right away, but then once they found out that the real reason behind it was cancer, how crazy would it have been for them to say, don't worry about the cancer. What we want you to do is fix these symptoms, fix what's on the outside, fix what we can see. 
How crazy would that be? How, how bad a parents would they be if that's what they said? How ridiculous would that be for a doctor to only treat symptoms while allowing cancer to destroy my brother's life? So this is kind of what was going on among the Jews during uh, our story today, during the end of Jesus' ministry. The Jews had been heavily oppressed by the Romans. They had to pay incredible taxes, and they were ruled by these uh, pagan, godless Romans. And they thought that their greatest need, their greatest problem, was the tyranny of the Romans. But we're going to see how today Jesus begins to show them that their greatest problem, problem really wasn't the Romans, but rather it was something else. Jesus begins to show them that their greatest need is not for a king who will physically defeat the Romans and free them from their rule, but rather Jesus is going to begin to expose that their greatest need is really that they have a cancer that they need to be healed from. In today's passage, Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem. The Messiah finally arrives. This word Messiah, uh, another, the, the Greek word for that is Christ. You've maybe seen it. Um, so the Jews had been oppressed and it had another country. They'd either been in exile or they've had another country, another power ruling over them. So for centuries, the prophets had been prophesying about this Messiah who would come, about this rescuer, about this hero, this king that would come and finally bring salvation to God's people. In today's story, the Jews cry out, Hosanna. They put their coats down on the ground and palm branches and cheer as Jesus enters the city that his whole ministry has been leading up to. We often call this passage the triumphal entry. But as we read this story today, we're going to see how Jesus' Jesus's, uh, entering into Jerusalem doesn't look like the great kings of Israel or, or a Roman general or emperor, how they would enter a city in splendor and in might and in power, exaltation. But Jesus is going to enter not as a conquering warrior king, but as a humble, peaceful servant king. And through this, he's going to begin to show the Jews that their real problem isn't the, Rome, isn't the Romans and that they have a deep-rooted disease that they need to be cured. And he alone can cure it. This morning our passage is uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. You can follow along up in the screen or it's also in your uh, insert as well. Starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoke by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds 
that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who, bring, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is that? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you are a king that does not ride in uh, victorious and uh, full of might and exalted and that demands that his subjects serve him. But as we will see today, you come in as a servant king, a peaceful Messiah that, that defeats our ultimate enemy, that heals us from our great disease that we have. Speak, speak to us this morning through your word. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we looked at this map uh, last week, and if you can see that red line starting at the top, kind of going down the right side, so that's, that's mostly been Jesus' uh, route to get to Jerusalem. So the beginning parts of Matthew, lots of his teachings and miracles happen at the top up there in Galilee, and he's now starting to w- work his way down to Jerusalem. There's a part uh, in the Gospel of Luke talking about Jesus, just, just a few Uh, chapters earlier where he says that Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. He knew that Jerusalem was the city where he needed to go because he knew that his mission was to die on the cross, and that's where it was going to happen. And so he's been making his way towards Jerusalem. Last week, we uh, we're going to zoom up just on the bottom there now. Uh, Last week, we looked at Jericho. Jesus did a miracle healing some men there, and now he's going to move closer to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany. Bethany, it's not in uh, this gospel of Matthew, but it's in another gospel. Jesus just healed a man uh, who was dead in Bethany. And now today, we're going to go into Bethpage, uh, the Mount of Olives, and then coming into Jerusalem. So that's kind of, you can get the idea of, of what's going on. And so we need to ask ourselves, so why are the people so excited now? Obviously, crowds have been following Jesus and they've been excited about him, especially when he feeds them, and especially when he puts on a show and does some miracles for them. But why are they especially excited now? Why are there crowds uh, going nuts, waving palm branches, putting their cloaks down on the ground, and cheering as Jesus enters into the city? Well, this map and, and understanding what Jesus has been doing kind of helps us. So it's one thing to have people deep in the backwoods of Galilee, so where Jesus was front and at the top of that map where he did most of his ministry. Think of like a small town, South Dakota or something. Or if you're from South Dakota, think of Wisconsin or Iowa. <laughs> so it's one thing to have people deep in the backwoods of Galilee talking about a prophet who is doing these miracles and healings. But now Jesus is doing this on their doorstep. He's doing this on their suburbs. Just, you know, pe- some people think that Beth Page was, was basically a part of Jerusalem, just a village that was basically touching the outskirts of Jerusalem. But now Jesus is doing these miracles in their suburbs. Even in Bethany, he raised a man from the dead who had been in the tomb for four days. Maybe one of his greatest miracles apart from the resurrection. So the excitement and buzz about this Jesus who just raised a man from the dead a few days ago has finally reached Jerusalem. And this city has been flooded with many Jews from all over the area, coming to celebrate the Passover. All right, back to verse 1. 
Now when they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them to you at once. Hard for us to maybe understand exactly what is going on, but Jesus is doing something incredibly unique right here. He's not entering the great city as as a great Israel king or a great Roman emperor would. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the great king that's been promised to the people of Israel for centuries that would finally bring salvation to God's people. But look how different it is from the world. Look how different it is from a worldly kingdom. And so, a worldly kingdom, a king would enter a city victorious on a war horse or on a chariot, showing his might and his power and his victory, whereas Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, a very lowly animal, a very peaceful animal. Priests would sometimes ride donkeys or people who would trying to be advocating for peace among countries. A worldly king would come strong, or would come on a strong and an, an adult horse, whereas Jesus came on not only a donkey, but on a young, weak colt. Worldly kings would come exalted, but Jesus came humble. In a worldly kingdom, the king's people are there to serve him, to do his bidding, to work for him. Whereas Jesus said that he is a king who came in order to serve his people. In worldly kingdoms, the great and the powerful and the rich shall be first and rule. In Jesus' kingdom, he just taught us a few weeks ago that the first shall be last. We read this just a few weeks ago. Uh, in Matthew 20, Jesus taught, he called uh, to, uh, but Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be the same among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Listen to this. Even as the Son of Man, which is this term that Jesus uses to describe himself, himself as the Messiah, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, sorry, came not to uh, be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So back to today's passage. So Matthew sees what's going on, and he remembers these Old Testament prophecies that speak of the Messiah. And he's starting to make some connections here. Uh, Verse 4, Matthew writes, This took place, so speaking of Jesus getting the donkey and riding the donkey, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, Your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Matthew here, he's quoting from some Old Testament prophets who centuries prior spoke of the one who would come to rescue his people in Jerusalem. This prophet, Zechariah, in verse 9-9 is where Matthew is drawing this from. He writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness 
and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what did the Jews and the disciples, these people who knew their Old Testament well, who had been, uh, this had been their tradition for a long time, what did the disciples and the Jews think when they saw Jesus entering Jerusalem riding on a donkey? What would these people think when they saw something like that? Some type of king with some type of parade or people gathered around him walking into Jerusalem or into a conquered city. I mean, if they were good Jews, they would remember the Zechariah passage and other passages, and they would think, salvation is coming. It's finally here. This rescuer, this hero, this good king who will finally overthrow our oppressors, who abuse us and who tax us and who occupy our country. This king, he's finally coming. Verse 9 of today's passage. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds recognized Jesus' kingship by calling him the Son of David, a king who would come from the line of David, the greatest king of Israel. The Gospel Transformation Bible does a, a great job describing what Jesus is doing in here and the way that he's entering the city. They write, Jesus is his own public relations firm and his own interpreter. The choice to ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey wasn't just to fulfill prophecy, but to contradict the prevailing notions about Israel's Messiah. The waving of palm branches wasn't just an act of enthusiastic praise. It was a statement of nationalistic pride. But Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem as a political, economic, and social advocate for Israel. He came to establish a kingdom reign over all nations, including Israel and Rome. A reign of grace in the hearts of his followers and a reign of peace over all he has made. Jesus makes us joyful prisoners of hope by rescuing us from the empty promises of hype. But most of the Jews and even most of the disciples still don't get it. That isn't the Messiah that they wanted. Rome was their greatest enemy, and they were blind to the real problem that they had. They were blind to the cancer, to the, the disease that was going to destroy them. So the Jews and even some of the disciples, at least for now, they had their idea of what they wanted in a Messiah, of what they wanted in this rescuer king. And it wasn't Jesus Christ. So the Jews and the disciples, they wanted their Christ to overthrow the oppressor. Whereas Jesus Christ came to overthrow their, their real, their greatest oppressor of sin and death. The Jews thought of Rome as their greatest enemy. Whereas Jesus knew that their true and ultimate enemy really wasn't Rome, but was sin and death. They wanted a physical salvation, a physical liberation, peace in their nation, whereas Jesus came to give them a spiritual salvation, to liberate them spiritually from being slaves to sin, slaves to death, and to give them not just peace on a, on a national and ethnic level, but peace between us and God the Father. They wanted their Christ, their Messiah, to sit on a physical throne 
and rule here on earth. Whereas Jesus came and he now, after the cross, sits on a heavenly throne, ruling beside God the Father. They wanted their Messiah to be a warrior king. And Jesus came as a warrior king, but not one, not one who would come through violence of others and take up arms, but would be a warrior king who would win the battle for us through his own suffering. Jesus came as a servant king, as the prince of peace. Another prophet in the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah, about how he would rescue and save his people from their greatest problems. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah foretells about this servant king that would come and rescue God's people, starting in verse 3, speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So as we close up this morning, a great question for us to ask, just like the Jews should have been asking and how the disciples eventually asked, do you really believe that sin is your biggest problem? Do you really believe that sin and death are your cancer? Or are we worried about life being tough, about financial worries, about problems with relationships, about it being really tough to be working under your boss, or it's exhausting to be a parent? Do we, do we really believe that our biggest problem the cancer that's eating away at us, not just the symptoms, but the disease that's in us, do we really believe that that is sin? And that is our greatest need. And secondly, as we hopefully believe number one, let us remember that the king of peace has come. Jesus has defeated our greatest enemy, sin, and through that sin, death. And through his suffering, as we saw described in great detail in Isaiah 53, and we will see in the coming months as we, in Matthew, see Jesus' betrayal and torture and death played out. As we see Jesus' suffering, 
remembering that through that we get to receive the spoils of his victory. Just like a great king who would lead his people into battle and conquer the enemy would give the spoils of war to his people. Jesus has done that for us. He didn't even need an army. He did it by himself. He defeated our great enemy and he gives us the spoils of war. He gives us relationship back with his father. He gives us an ability to no longer be slaves, not to Rome, not to some occupying force, but to no longer have to be slaves to our sin anymore. So let us remember, remember what Jesus did on our behalf as a king of peace, not a king of violence, not a king who won through defeating other people, but of one who sacrificed himself, and through his suffering, we are saved. Behold, your king is coming to you, Hiawatha Church. Righteous and having salvation is he. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of who you are. We know in our hearts we probably do at times or often want a king who is powerful, who, de- who gets victory through violence and power and exaltation. We want a king who sometimes just defeats the symptoms of, of life being tough and us living in a fallen world. But we thank you that you are so much greater than that, that you came to defeat the cancer that is within us, not just the symptoms, that you knew our greatest need was for sin and death to be destroyed and for us to be reconciled back to you. So God, we pray as we meditate on the gospel, as we, as we look to the triumphal entry, they would see you for the king, for the rescuer, for the Messiah that you truly are, and not try to put our own expectations or our own wants, but to just humbly sit at your feet. Thank you for what you've done, and let you be the Messiah. Let you be the king that you are. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.